Good morning. Hey, um, we're in the season of Advent, and for the last several years, the church uh, here, we have tried to look at some aspects of God and try and help us prepare for uh, remembering Jesus coming. This year, particularly, we have looked at the attributes of God and, and tried to understand them, and through them, try and uh, prepare our hearts, prepare ourselves for, for Christmas. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here at Life. And I want to start out by telling you a story about uh, um, a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Buster. Uh, that's Buster. He's a little dog. Um, and uh, he is wearing a Colts jersey because he is a Colts fan. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, uh, my wife and I got Buster from a local breeder who had actually rescued some, some Shizus, like him, uh, from a place where dogs had been mistreated. And uh, so Buster has taken a real liking to me. Uh, he is loyal, he's affectionate, he's outgoing, and he is very alert. Now, Shizus were not bred to be watchdogs, but that's not stopped Buster. Buster's favorite thing in the world is to go out into the backyard and go on patrol and, and look for any irregularities. Irregularities such as a squirrel, a rabbit, uh, the mailman. Um, the mailman has, Buster has a particular problem because I'm sure Buster thinks he's told the mailman not to come back and day after day he just keeps coming back. And he particularly hates the neighbor's cat. In fact, I think Buster believes that the neighbor's cat literally is Satan incarnate. Well, one morning, not long after we got Buster, uh, I was letting him out to go to the backyard to go on patrol. And I looked and I saw that someone had left the gate open. And standing right outside the gate was the neighbor's demon cat. Well, I knew if I let Buster out, he would shoot after that cat. The cat might dart into the, the street and, and Buster could get hurt. So real quick, I pulled the door shut and I kind of pushed in front of Buster to stop him from trying to squeeze through. And I kind of pushed him back into the, into the house. Well, Buster immediately put his tail between his legs and he ran back into the house. You know, I hadn't yelled at him. I hadn't said anything. But my actions spoke to him. They said that he was back in that place where he had been mistreated and hurt. Even though I never said a word, my actions had said a word to him. That he wasn't good, that he wasn't worthy. The thing about it is, most of us experienced at some time in our life the same thing. Though somebody may not say something, our circumstances speak to us. People treat us poorly, and, and we, even though they may not say it out loud, they're saying to us that we don't matter, that uh, they don't believe in you, or, or maybe they mean nothing. You mean nothing to them. And as Christians, sometimes our circumstances in life are tough. I look around this room, and I see people in this room who I know this year some of you struggled financially. Some have struggled with health. Some have had family issues. And, and I know that, that that happens to me. 
our life seems to be this, this constant encounter. And even if today you're not in a bad place, you know that life is a pendulum and you'll swing into a bad place at some point. And the problem is, when that happens, our circumstances speak to us and it seems to say that God doesn't love us, that God doesn't care, that he doesn't see our pain, that he doesn't want to intercede. When our circumstances speak to us, we need a word that speaks louder than our circumstances. Something that's nothing short than God, the goodness of God. We need to see Jesus and we need to see his compassion. And that's why in this Advent series, we've tried to focus on God's attributes. Chad started us out by talking about God being generous and, and he tried to take us through the the story of the song of Mary. And then he took us through the song of Zechariah. And he asked you to write songs. He said, listen, what would your song be? What has God done for you? What would you worship him with? And some of you did that. And then last week, Chad talked about God being worthy. And he talked about this. He said, when you see the nativity scene, that we should think about the wise men and, and it should remind us that God is worthy of our time and our praise and our treasure. And he said that he and I would go along on the journey together and I'm the guy in the middle of the three wise men. Chad's at the other end. You can't tell it's Chad because he's got the hat on and covers his head. <laughs> Today, I want to talk about the Christmas story. And I want to talk about two characters in particular, two that we don't often mention. One is I want to talk about the Jewish people as a player in the story of Christmas, the nation of Israel. And the other, I want to talk about Jesus, the infant who grows into a man. And through them, I'm going to try and show you, try and reveal that God is compassionate, that God is compassionate and because of that, Christmas speaks a better word to us than our circumstances. So let's pray and dig into it. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that we can worship you, that we can engage you. Lord, I just pray for the working of your Holy Spirit here today in people's hearts. And do the work that my words are incapable of doing. Lord, we thank you because we know that you are a good and compassionate God. Help us to hear your voice through the noise of our lives and the noise of this season. And may our service today honor you, bring good attention, glory to you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, this year we handed out an Advent guide. And if you've been reading through that Advent guide or sharing it with your children, you've seen that this week we're talking about compassion. And the Advent guide says this. It describes compassion this way. You're moved because your heart is compelled to take action. You're moved because your heart is compelled to take action. You see, sometimes in our language, we confuse compassion with other things. We confuse it with sympathy or empathy. But compassion is more than that. You see, sympathy is feeling sorry for someone. Empathy is saying, I, I, I know what it's like to walk in your shoes. I, I feel your pain. Compassion, by definition, takes action. 
It does something. Compassion moves us to do something. And often when we do that, we become vulnerable. Think about it this way. You see somebody in the street that has nowhere to stay. Sympathy is feeling sorry for them. Empathy is saying, well, walking up to him saying, I used to be homeless too. Compassion is saying, I'm going to take you into my home. And in doing so, you make yourself vulnerable to that person, to being hurt. So compassion has two components. And I'm going to try and demonstrate through the Christmas story that that's exactly what we find. That God is revealing his compassion through the Christmas story. Now, to first understand that God takes action, you need to understand what it would be like to be the nation of Israel or to be a Jewish person. You're part of God's chosen people. You're taught from the beginning that God chose you as a special people, called you out of the earth, and has made a covenant with you and your people. But you live in the first century, and it sure doesn't feel like that. In the first century, you're living in a time where the Roman Empire controls the Promised Land, one of the most brutal empires in the history of Earth. Your king, Herod, isn't probably even a Jew. He is not necessarily of the line of David. He's been propped up and put into office by the Romans. Your uh, uh, high priest is not picked the way the high priest is supposed to. The Romans have taken control of your country. You feel that God has abandoned you. And also, you haven't heard from God. See, the Israelites, the Jews, were used to hearing from prophets, hearing from God through the prophets. And, and when we look at the Old Testament, we see there's a lot of prophets. Sometimes they might have two or three prophets at the same time bringing the word from God. But it's been 400 years since you've heard anything. You're used to hearing from God, and now for 400 years, God has gone silent. Uncomfortable, isn't it? It's awkward when you are used to hearing someone talk and they stop. It feels like something's wrong. Something has gone amiss. And that's what happens with the Jewish people. In the first century, they must think, God doesn't care about us anymore. God doesn't see our, our pain. God doesn't care about the circumstances we're in. And when you feel that way, when you feel that your circumstances are speaking to you that God doesn't care, you have to have something to hold on to, a promise, something that tells you that God does care and will do something about it. For the Jewish people, it was the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah had prophesied that he was going to deal, that God was going to deal with their biggest problems. And let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. It's one of the chapters that's often taught in the Christmas story because it's a prophecy about the coming Messiah, the one that's going to rescue the Jewish people. So let's read it. For to us a child is born is the uh, title. But there will be no gloom for her. Her usually means uh, Israel, the nation, who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt, meaning God, the land of Zebulun, and the land of Naphtali. These are in the northern part of the Promised Land. But in the latter time, 
He has made glorious the way to the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of nations. Much of Jesus' ministry will come from Galilee and out of Galilee. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness. Now that's a key thing here, deep darkness. If you read different translations, you may see that that's, that's a different uh, word used there. The Hebrew word uh, as translated by the King James is death shadow. Many Hebrew scholars believe that this deep darkness actually refers to death itself. On them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken is on the day of Midian. Midian was a great victory won by Gideon in the history of, of the Jewish people. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, meaning wisdom, mighty God, meaning God himself, everlasting father, that he's going to adopt the people into his uh, uh, group, prince of peace, that he is the source of peace, of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, Chad's been asking us to pull things out of the scripture and as we study and as we move through this Advent period. And he asked for songs. And, and if I was going to write a song, that's what mine would be. It'd be Jesus is my wonderful counselor. He's the source of wisdom for me. He is my mighty God. I believe that Jesus is God with flesh. He's the everlasting father. He has adopted me into his family. And he is my prince of peace. He is my source of peace. Now, as I used to read this, I, I would struggle with it a little bit. And, and I remember that this tells me that God is promising to do something. He's promising to send a Messiah. And that's our first bulletin point. It's down at the bottom of your bulletin, down at the bottom of the page. And that bulletin point is this. The first thing I want you to get today, God's compassion moves him to action. God's compassion moves him to action. God isn't just going to stand on the sidelines. He's going to do something about the mess we're in. He's not going to have sympathy or empathy. He's going to have compassion. He's going to act. He's going to do something. And the most important thing that I think he's going to deal with here is death's shadow. That there will be a coming Messiah who will deal with our biggest problem, and that is death. Now, if I run through this, verse 4 says that God promises to re a, a release of oppression. It says the yoke of burden and the rod of the oppressor are broken. Verse 5 says that uh, there'll be an end of war and all war-torn gear will be thrown into the fire. Now, verse 6 says there's going to be a birth of a perfect ruler. 
and he'll be able to carry the government. And, and then it also says, goes on to say, that his, his rule will have no end. And it'll be marked by justice and righteousness. And most scholars talk about this as being a spiritual kingdom. That when Jesus was born, he established here on earth a spiritual kingdom that will not end. And, and practically every Christian scholar will say that. Well, I remember one day I was watching TV and I was watching a Christian commentator and he was talking to a Jewish rabbi, a, a, a teacher, a, a Jewish teacher. And they were talking about Jesus. And this rabbi, by memory, quoted all of Isaiah 9. He just read it off. And when he got done, he, he looked at the Christian uh, commentator. He said, Jesus did not go into Jerusalem and establish a kingdom on David's throne. The Romans crucified him. He can't be the Messiah. Well, I, just like all of you, immediately yelled at the TV and said, what about Isaiah 53? He was pierced for our iniquity. By his stripes we are healed. He came here to, to, to do away with sin. Well, the rabbi didn't respond to me. I don't know. I, I don't know why I thought he would. But, but nevertheless, I thought, now, wait a minute. Here's this rabbi looking at this very literally, very physically, just like I am looking at Isaiah 53, very literally, very physically, that this is what happened to Jesus. And then it came into clarity. Isaiah, the prophet, looks into the future and he sees a coming Messiah that, yes, will establish a spiritual kingdom at his birth and at the cross and deal with death's shadow. But will physically do that through dying. But he's also seeing not Jesus' first coming, but his second coming. Jesus will come physically to reign and rule in Jerusalem on King David's throne in a kingdom of peace that will be known as the millennium. Why, why is that important? Why is that important to get it? Because in Advent, most of the time, We've been standing here, we've been talking, we talk about looking back, looking back to when Jesus came 2,000 years ago as a, as a baby and, and thinking about his coming again and celebrating Christmas and remembering that Jesus came to die for our sins to bring a solution to death. But Advent is what we're in now. We are in a second Advent, the coming of Jesus again to rule over the nations, to rule as a king. He came before, and he's coming again. And this should also be a time of anticipating that. Not just the first coming, but also the second. And at the end of this chapter, 9 of Isaiah, the prophet writes what, God, what God's motive for this is. And it says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What does zeal mean? Well, zeal is intense passion. Uh, Buster has an intense passion for the neighbor's cat. Actually, my wife and I, we can be sitting in the living room watching TV and, and we'll listen, we'll hear Buster barking. We know the cat's out there because he has a different bark. He, he barks faster, it's higher pitched. He gets really excited when he sees the enemy cat. And so the first thing I want to point out here is that God's compassion has moved him to action. He didn't sit on the sideline. 
He did something. He son came to deal with our biggest problem, which is death. Now, the other thing I want to point out is by looking at the baby, by looking at Jesus himself, we see the second aspect of compassion. First, compassion takes action. And we see that God kept his promise to Israel. He took action. The second thing is that when we get involved, we become vulnerable. And in Jesus, we see that God allows himself to become vulnerable. First of all, Jesus comes as an infant, totally dependent on other people to care for him, to feed him. Literally, Jesus is there at the beginning of the universe. He is there at creation. He is part of being the creator. And, and now he is literally dependent upon the creatures he made to take care of him, to care for him. Jesus, later on as a man, will say, no one can take my life from me. I lay it down. I give it. Jesus could have called upon an army of angels to save him, but he chose not to. He allowed himself to be vulnerable, even to the point of death. And then he said, I would take up my life again. In the resurrection, he is raised again. So Jesus is an excellent example of compassion. He came to do something, and he became vulnerable. I saw another good example of compassion uh, about a week and a half ago. As most of you know, about a week and a half ago, uh, we were attacked. The country was attacked by, by a group of, of terrorists in San Bernardino who killed 14 people and wounded many others. And as I was watching the news coverage of this, I saw some police officers who had been interviewed. And, and one of those officers had been uh, a, he was a, a, a training officer who wouldn't normally be assigned to, to go anywhere. But as he's driving to lunch, he, he hears the call. He hears about the trouble. And he knows he can get there fast. So he rushes to the site. And he's one of the first officers to run in to the site of the shooting. He got there. He didn't wait for the SWAT team. He didn't wait for armored vehicles. He took his service whipping and raced in. He took action. And in doing so, he made himself vulnerable. He ran into there with only a few officers behind him, knowing that he was risking his life. Another example was a, a sheriff's deputy who was leading people out, not knowing if there were still terrorists there. And you can remember, many of you probably saw him say, I'll take a bullet before any of you do. Vulnerability. I'm here to save you. I'm here to rescue you. He took action. Now, some of you might say, well, they're getting paid to do that. <sighs> Listen, I don't think, well, what a cop makes, that's not enough. Lose your life. No, you might say, well, they have a sense of duty or, or bravery or, or, or conviction or they took an oath. And that, those things play a role. But I'm telling you, it's a perfect example perfect example of compassion. They knew that people's lives were in risk. They acted right away. And in doing so, they made themselves vulnerable. That's what compassion is. So what do we do with this teaching? What do we do? Well, for me, Christmas is a time of recalibration. What do I mean by that? Well, Christians have a tendency to drift away from what we know is true. As the circumstances of our life are difficult, we move farther and farther away from knowing what is true. We move distances away from what God has told us. 
For example, I have this watch, and I, and I love this watch. It's, it feels nice. It's got nice big hands and, and numbers. As, as Chad pointed out, I have a little bit of a problem seeing, so I need big numbers. Now, it's got a problem, though. It runs fast. In fact, it runs very fast. I'm going to probably need to get another watch because it'll gain about 10 minutes to 20 minutes every 24 hours. <laughs> well, so what I do is every morning when I get up, I adjust my watch. I recalibrate it to the time on my phone or, or the time on the TV. Otherwise, it would just keep drifting farther and farther away from the truth. I would have come here, you know, two hours ago and, and said, wow, the 11 o'clock service is really thin. And, you know, there's not too many people here, you know. And so I have to recalibrate. Christmas is the time I recalibrate to what I know is true. The truth of my life, which is Jesus Christmas is that opportunity we have to go back and remember that even when the circumstances of our life scream to us that God doesn't care, Christmas reminds us that he does because he came to do something. Jesus came, and, and that's what's important. Because Jesus has come, we have real solutions to our most significant problems. Our most significant problems are death. Our most significant problems are our sin, our separation from God. It's also a time for me to remember that I don't get to dictate my circumstances. You see, Buster thought I hated him when I did that, but I loved him. I was doing that to protect him. Sometimes our circumstances say to us that God doesn't love us, but we don't get to dictate our circumstances. I was talking to a guy the other day, and, and he was saying, God's trying to teach me something, but I can't figure it out. But I know it because I have hearts in anguish because my daughter is sick. And, and he said, I don't know. Why does he have to pick on my daughter? And I said, God, or I said to the guy, I said, listen, would you pay attention if you were sick? And he said, no. God gets to choose our circumstances. The Bible tells us that everything in our lives has been sifted through his hands, through his fingers. And it's in his hands that's the best place to be. Because he does love us. He does care about us. And he is compassionate. So, how do I approach this? Well, what I did with Buster is after I went outside and and, and shooed the invading demon cat away from our yard, and then closed and locked the gate, I went and I found Buster. And I found him and I petted him, I picked him up and held him. Uh, I gave him some cheese, because Buster really loves cheese. <laughs> you know, if you give Buster cheese, he'll forgive anything. <laughs> so I gave him some cheese, I spent time, I reminded him that he wasn't in that awful place anymore. That he was with me and we loved him and we cared for him. And that my wife and I would, would show him a different life. Christmas speaks a better word. My actions with Buster spoke a better word than his past. Reminded him. Knowing that God is compassionate. Understanding that God has spoken the truth. Speaks a better word. 
So today I've tried to show you that God's compassion has moved him to action. He has dealt with this mess. God's compassion has led him to become vulnerable by becoming an infant, by going to the cross for us. Now, one thing I want you to do is I want you to remember that life is not easy and we need reminders. We need these points in our life to remind us that God does care. Because if your life is fine now, it won't be soon. That's the truth of living here on earth. Our circumstances often will begin to talk to us. And if we're not careful, we'll move away from what we know is true. So to me, to me, the word that Christmas speaks, the word that speaks louder than my circumstances is the name of Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. I've been a respiratory therapist for 42 years. I've worked in hospitals from southern Indiana to northern Indiana. And over 42 years, I've been in the room when a lot of people have died. And there's a difference. I have seen a difference in the way people die, in the way families deal with death. When Jesus is not in that family's life, when Jesus is not in the life of that patient who's dying, in that room, there's fear, there's anguish, there's a hopelessness. There is a belief that, that life means nothing, that this is the end. You can feel death's shadow in that room. Death has power in that room. But when Jesus is in a family's life, when they have faith, when the person who's dying believes in Jesus, there's pain. There's crying because there's separation. And there's always pain when we're separated. But there's also hope. There's a purpose, a belief that this is not the end, that we'll be reunited again. Jesus has the power in that room, not the shadow of death. Christmas reminds me that Jesus has dealt with the issue of death and sin on the cross. But what does Christmas mean to you? When we show the nativity scene, what speaks to you? What does Christmas say to you? Now, when you came in today, you had a bulletin, and you've got in there a communication card. Why don't we take those out for a second? Just go ahead, take them out. Go ahead. Don't be afraid. It won't bite you. And there's pins around you. What does Christmas say to you? Write it down. You don't have to put your name if you don't want. Put it on the back if you want. But write. What is the word that Christmas speaks to you? After the service last night, a, a guy came up to me and he said, redemption. What does Christmas speak to you? What does it say to you? Maybe in your devotions, in the time you've spent, maybe reading the Advent Guide, Christmas has said something. Maybe something Chad said in the last couple weeks or I've mentioned today speak to you. We really want to know. I want you to write that down and, and on your way out, put it in the offering boxes at the door. Because I'm building a sermon. I'm building a, a sermon for the future. 
I want to understand us. I want to understand what Christmas is doing in your lives. Next Saturday, we have an Advent service, 5 o'clock. I know you're Sunday morning, folks, but you're welcome to come. It's going to be a family-friendly service. We're going to have children involved. It's going to be a way of honoring Jesus and, and, and honoring what Jesus has been doing, what the Holy Spirit has been doing in our congregation. Christmas speaks to us. Tell me, how does Christmas speak to you? I once heard about a play at a, at a grade school. It was called Christmas Speaks. And, and the way they did this is they had like these third graders all lined up. And, and Santa came in and sat down. And they were going to ask Santa questions. That's how Christmas was going to speak in, in their understanding. And so the first child looks at Santa and says, Santa, why do you live in the North Pole? And Santa says, well, I love the snow, and it's nice and cold up there. I enjoy it. And so the next little kid, he says, uh, uh, says uh, Santa, how do you deliver all the presents in one night? And Santa said, well, my reindeer are really, really fast, and we can get all around the world in, in, in just one night. And the next little child said, Okay, uh, Santa, what's your favorite cookie? Santa said, it's chocolate chip. And the next little child said, uh, Santa, what's your favorite cookie? Santa said, chocolate chip. And the next little child said, what's your favorite cookie? Santa said, chocolate chip. And the next little child, you can see the kids are starting to giggle, and they're all going to ask, what's your favorite cookie now? And so the next little boy, he starts to say, Santa, what's your favorite? And the teacher interrupted him and said, you, now, we have to ask Santa something other than what's his favorite cookie. So the little boy kind of shuffles his feet and thinks and says, what's your favorite kind of beer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think, I don't think that's the way that Christmas speaks. But how does Christmas speak to you? How has it spoken to your children? What are they thinking about now? Let me know. To me, because Jesus has come, my life has meaning. Because Jesus has come, I have a real solution to my most significant problem, death. Because Jesus has come, I really have a solution to my sin. Because Jesus has come, I have a better word than the circumstances of my life. Because Jesus has come, I have something to recalibrate my life to, my pain to, my hope to, my fear to, and even my very existence to. See, because Jesus has come, I have something to celebrate. I have something to celebrate this holiday, a holiday called Christmas, because it's got my Savior's name in it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recalibrate. Would you speak to us? Help us to hear a better word than our circumstances speak. For me, Lord, you know, and I hope for others, that that word is the word become flesh, Jesus. It's in his name that we gather, and it's in his name that we're going to turn to you in worship, and it's in his name that we pray and we give you this day.
Amen.